one of the reasons that it, I wanted now to do what I do in helping family businesses particularly to be sustainable because when the family business ended, I had to go and start again and it got a little bit messy and all that sort of thing as life does when you're a teenager leaving school at 15. The danger is that everybody piles in and works too many hours and this sort of thing. We all do crazy things for our business from time to time. But one, it's got to be equitable, not, not just one person's doing it. Set the boundaries, set the vision, set the rules of the game. Yeah, of course, the stress points as we go along and things have to happen occasionally, but don't let it become a habit. And it's, again, it's back to systemizing and visibility. When you grow and develop the business, treat the family as applicants, which sounds really harsh, but do they want the job? Are they right for it? Recruit as if you're recruiting from outside. Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Now, today we're diving into a topic that some entrepreneurs wrestle, wrestle with, which is the complexities of taking over a family business. My guest today is David Holland, who's a business co-pilot with over 20 years of experience in helping ambitious business owners build successful companies through his books, coaching and his training programs. And David himself comes from a family business background, one that actually you can trace its roots back to the early 1800s. Um, now, David provides and brings a, um, an outside perspective, strategic inside, practical solutions to many of the challenges that come up when you're trying to sustain a family legacy whilst also forging your own path. And so this episode is all about how do you respect the past, but also innovate for the future and build a business that not only grows, but can be enjoyed for generations to come. David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And by the way, I, I wasn't present in the 1800s, just so you know. It was a family <laughs> legacy. I'm not quite that old. But anyway, yeah, we can go we trace our, um, our lineage back to uh, Napoleonic times, apparently, I think it was. But anyway, so yeah, we've been around for a while. That's absolutely incredible. And I'd love to know a bit more about that journey of you taking over the family business. Um, yeah. Like, how did that play out? And, and also perhaps picking up on some of the challenges that you that you yourself faced. Sure. I mean, I think the family firm was, um, we were retailers, green grocery shops, and I worked in those shops alongside dad uh, until the age of about 14, 15. And the whole plan was to actually go into the business and sort of inherit it and, and keep it going. And it was about the age of 15 or 14 when my dad said to me, look, um, the family firm isn't going to sustain you. I was like, crikey, that's a bit of a bit of a shock because I thought it would. So the family, the family firm as it was, that version of it actually it sort of closed down and dad did okay out of it, but it didn't actually sustain through. And that's one of the reasons that it, I wanted now to do what I do in helping family businesses, particularly to be sustainable because I, when I, when the family, when that business ended, I had to go and sort of start again and it got a little bit messy and all that sort of thing as life does when you're a teenager leaving school at 15. Um, so it's part of the reason I do what I do is because of that. But also now, yeah, we are a family firm. I run the company with actually four. Those those who run, work with their wives will know this. I work for Lynn, my wife, our eldest son's in the business with us. And so there's only about there's about five or six of us in the company. But we, you know, we are the family firm you know, 2.0 again. Same challenges apply, of course. 
Yeah, that's incredible. And, and, and when you have, because you've gone through that journey a number of times and also with your clients, what's yeah. been your experience of like the expectations set by previous generations such that they exist and how you then navigate that while then kind of bring your own vision into the business? I think the key, and something that we found as well, because we're in the sort of we're, we're transitioning with you know with John coming into the business as well, as son, and what I see with my clients specifically is where let's say the the dads founded the company and they've built it, and then the daughter comes in or the son comes in, where the family come in, and one of the challenges, a key sort of pressure point, is when does dad or mom or the founding parents when do they let go? And I think there's a the challenge is there's a blurring of the lines between shareholder director and operations because you know when we're running our own companies like you and me a, they all blur together you know we have mm. a shareholder meeting over dinner and all this sort of thing but when we're transitioning i think it's really important that typically dad moves from being a director or operational director into being shareholder mode mm -hmm. and then doesn't get involved in the operational day-to-day -day of the business um it may be that obviously the, the the children the youngsters are shareholders as well but i think it's that demarcation is a real key and that, that's a challenge for you know the parents to let go and allow their youngsters to you know do things differently and look after the business in a different way but that letting go i think it's critical for two reasons one it enables the parent to move into retirement or do other things but also it enables the new ideas to come through because otherwise the the children the, the the youngsters coming in they don't get to express themselves and they don't enjoy it and therefore that can cause a lot of tension as well so i think that demarcation is a real good start point anyway yeah no i think that's really interesting and it's something that when i've seen that in other businesses that i've worked with yeah. the um, it is quite common that the business owner struggles to let go. I mean, regardless of whether they're letting it go to um, their family yeah. or to employees as part of um, a management buyout or as part of um, selling it or, or even just the process of as you grow the business, looking to step up in it so that you're not involved in the day to day. And, you know, obviously... Um, through a lot of our episodes, indeed, my work with Air Manual, a lot of what we do there is helping people to let go of things. Yes. What's been your, um, in your experience working with clients, yeah. where have you seen like the penny drop? What What is it that typically leads to that business owner taking that decision? Perhaps, you know, any specific example that you've had? I think one of the ones that was a, it was a warehousing company up in uh, actually Birmingham, over back over in the UK when we were over there, and the company had grown, and the you know, the young the next generation are coming through, and the dad actually realised that he'd built the business from scratch, uh, driving a fork truck, driving lorries, this type of thing, and we remember we sat in in this sort of board meeting, and he said, you know what? He said, I'd love just to drive a truck again that's what i want to do and and it's a real so he decided even though he owned the company he was going to do something he enjoyed doing and he went and he was he was driving a truck so he was back driving the truck he enjoyed doing that he kept himself as a shareholder and what the reason he did that is because he said when the clients and the customers and the team start to respond to the new way of thinking and that would be involved with new people new technology new markets new growth new ideas and he just began to feel 
removed from it. It didn't resonate with him because what worked 10 years ago may not work now. And I think when he, you know, he was bright enough to see that, and he said, okay, you guys run it, you do your thing, let me know how you get on, we'll get together. But we found him something to do that he, he wanted to do, right. which was, in his case, drive the truck. And I think that was a really interesting one because he was the, the highest paid truck driver in the world, if you like. But he loved doing that, and he realized that he was better off allowing the youngsters to, to have a free hand. He didn't agree with everything that they did. Um, he didn't, but he, he learned to bite his lip. They did use him as a, a sounding board, but the deal was he was almost like non-exec. Mm. So they had some ideas. We're going to do this. What do you think? They, they valued his experience and his knowledge and his, his sage approach, but they were really clear that they were going to filter it and apply it to the new situation. So sometimes he was absolutely right, and sometimes they totally ignored him. And, and the rule was that they put between that he had to be okay with both. He had to be okay with both. Yeah. And the business did well. He went in a different direction that he would have taken it, um, which was fine. But it was that letting go, but having them being okay, realizing that the clients, the customers and the market were more appropriate to the younger generation now than his generation. So yeah, he finally uh, let go and had a great time driving his truck around. That's amazing. And I, 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 what I love is that that step of working out what are you going to do instead, mm, I think exactly. is a crucial one. Because I think in, in, in that example where it's like yeah, um, close to basically a retirement plan, right? It's yeah. like a, an alternative for him could have been, oh, actually, I really want to play golf or, you know, whatever. And Absolutely. for him, it was actually driving the truck and still being part of it and, and, and so yeah. on was key. I think for other business owners that even pre like you know not uh, pre retirement and getting to that stage i think deciding actually where where do you want to be spending your time what do you want to be doing what are the activities you really enjoy so that you can let go of the stuff that you don't or that long term isn't going to be the right thing for your role or that you can't commit in the way that you would have liked to and yeah. i think that's that's really a powerful motivator in terms of helping that person to then let go of stuff because you're clearer on what you're going to be doing and i think for anyone listening like regardless of whether you've got family business or not thinking about okay what is it that i really want to be doing or or feel would be a greater um more valuable use of my time i think, I think the same principles apply so i think whether it's almost if it's a family firm or not yeah. because if you run your own company and as business owners our identity is so tied mm. up in what we do in everything. And we remember the days when we had a, you know, a mobile phone and a laptop in the garage. We started from scratch and we, you know, fought the fight and built this thing up from nothing, if you like. That's a very strong identity and a very powerful anchor to hold on to. But even if you're you know, with family coming in, that's what's one thing, but also bringing professional managers in is another thing as well. The same sort of principles yeah. apply. A professional manager won't tolerate or doesn't need the, the old fella coming in every every day and micromanaging and going on the shop floor and causing chaos. So I think it, it does work in the family firm, but it, it applies everywhere, really. Yeah, agreed. And and what about so? On the one hand, you've got the person that's letting go. The mm. you know the uh, uh, in many cases the the grandparent or the 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 father or mother or whatever, like at the at the the head of the business that's been yeah. running it for um, probably decades and is then letting go. And so a lot of it is about their um, acceptance of uh, a better future and the fact that the business is going to carry on and that they're going to, to let go and do these other things. Yeah. What about for the people taking it on, the, the other family members? What are the, some of the common struggles that you see 
when they're having to to take these things on what are the mistakes that they make what are the the obstacles and again like if you've got specific examples it'd be great to hear them I think that the, one of the key patterns, I think, when especially when the the son or the daughter is comes into the business and they haven't been trained. And what I mean by that, they haven't gone through every department, they haven't done the apprenticeship. They get wheeled in, they go straight in at the management level for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That can be tough, and there's tough for a couple of reasons. This this happened with a um, with actually a, another distribution company. It happens, um, and the, the son came from university into into the boardroom. Um, and they didn't have credibility with anybody in the company. He had the position, but he hadn't earned it. And what I've seen work really well, for example, in, you know, in other um, sectors, one of the clients over here in, in Luxembourg, for example, the, the son went off to college and university and this sort of thing, um, wasn't allowed anywhere near the boardroom for, the, for a while, um, but came back in and you know went on the shop floor and worked the machines and learned how to drive the truck and sweep up, make the tea, get to know how the business ticks. And he, I think he did it for about two or three years, working his way through so he understood how things work he got the credibility of the people in the company and when he when he earned his stripes and so sometimes they leave it too late to bring them in if that makes sense it should be a three to five year path i think and he went through this path and by the time he got to board level it, two things happened one he had the credibility secondly he had the confidence because he, he he knew he could answer for the business with the customers with the clients and with the team as well but also i think that he found that he could challenge his dad on it with from a point of view of expertise and knowledge and experience rather than a dad i've got an mba and i'm on page 58 it says this that doesn't cut it with you know seasoned campaigners if you like they don't get that sort of thing i know none of us actually do but if we can develop the youngsters coming through the business to gain their own confidence and credibility and then they build trust you know with the parent can say well you know, he or she has gone through all these areas. They know what they're doing. They've been in sales. They've been on the shop floor. And it's like a confidence thing. They can stand back. Okay, now you've been trained for it because a lot of businesses, a lot of um, people taking over a company, they're not trained. They And it's sort of, you know, greatness is thrust upon them to a certain extent. And they, you know, they take it out of, of, of sort of, uh, loyalty to the family sometimes a lot of people running the companies the family firms they don't really want to do it they do it out of loyalty to the family rather than passion for the business and that really shows up so it depends how and what when i think the youngsters come into the business do they want to do it are they being forced to do it and have they been have they been trained and guided to do it you know it can get really messy sometimes yeah that's that's really interesting and 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 i think your point around making sure that they get some experience in different parts of the business is so valuable when they then have those conversations in the in in the boardroom um i think the the challenge that i often see is that they they want to bring in these new ideas based on that experience and so on but often the um it's almost tricky for them to do so on some uh, some cases because it's almost like ah is making this recommendation is this directly going to challenge the existing business owner and you know uh, head of the family in how they've done things in the past so for example let's say the um uh, i've got a business in mind which is uh, kind of in the we'll call it the sort of manufacturing installation kind of uh, space Mm -hmm. where you'd have the business owner who their background was more the design of what's going to be built Mm -hmm. and installed. And so they had very specific ideas around what the 
um, materials that are used, how it can be built, what the process should be in terms of uh, interacting with the client and the uh, yeah. and so on. And so when you've got the next generation person that came in, uh, this guy's son, he's then trying to make suggestions and so on. But you've got this friction, not only on merit of idea, but also when the, in this case, the son is making suggestions to some extent, they're saying, because I think that the way that you've been doing it is wrong or yeah. not optimal or like creates a mess and, and that can cause problems. Are there examples that you've seen and how did that get resolved? Well, I think we had that in, in, in our company. Right. Typically because it's interesting. We did a, an event actually, uh, some time ago now over in Germany doing a conference. And Lynn, we normally travel together and do these gigs and events. And uh, we've been together now 44 years, married 37. So through everything, we've been running the business ourselves, if you like. And one of the ladies in the audience, she said you know, she was just interested in Lynn's view on something. I thought, okay. So Lynn came onto the stage, which is not her you know, comfortable place. And this lady said, and she clearly got some issues going on with the sound of it. She said, in all the time you've run your own companies and been together, have you ever considered um, separation or divorce? And Lynn thought about it. She said, no, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> I, think that, I think that can sort of sum up the family firm because I think the, di the dynamic is different. <laughs> uh, and the way we got through it as a, as a couple and as a family firm, because we, di we, we, we didn't want to be discussing business over Sunday lunch. We didn't want to be falling out about strategy mm. over breakfast and a coffee, all that sort of thing. So we were really clear. We have our own job descriptions. Um, I'm only allowed to do certain things in the business. I'm not allowed to do um, back office, marketing, diary, web, anything like that. I'm allowed to speak with clients and people such as yourself, which is fabulous. And that's it. And if somebody's got an idea around technology in the business, a new CRM system or something, I might get advised about it or say we need a new CRM. It's not my choice. That's where John comes in. He looks after the tech and that side of it. Do I agree with everything that they do? I don't know. But again, I haven't got the expertise and knowledge to say they're right or they're wrong. So my job is to shut up occasionally as well. And I think that that you're defining the roles as you would in, a, in a, any other professional organization, because in, a, in, a, in any other company, the, the, the roles are distinct. And when people go home, you don't talk about it over the dinner table with your operations manager because he's, he's gone home. Whereas the family's different. He's there all the time. But I think having that separation and these rules of engagement are really key because that in itself, if not careful, becomes a, a limitation on scale. You can't grow that. And so you've got to be more mature about it. So I think roles and definitions and job specs, even you know, even if we don't technically need them, we need them there as a, as a drawing the lines between ourselves, our own responsibilities. Yeah, I can see huge value in that. I think, as you say, in any business, having roles and responsibilities, clarity on what the expectations are is valuable. It becomes both more valuable and important for a family business because of that demarcation and so on yeah. but also in terms of that that the um the risk of um overlap and so on is higher i suspect in the family business where the team members are much more likely to just be like oh you know barry's busy i'll help out i'll do this yeah. which in a way that wouldn't necessarily happen <laughs> out in the business because yeah. for you to notice that barry's business and uh, busy and go drop this ball he'd have had to tell you, whereas in a family, you can see it, you can hear it, you know, he's, he's, he's taking a call after dinner. And so 
I can see how the value of that becomes and importance of that becomes elevated in a in a family business. And, and um, what about the more clarity that the the family uh, members have, the more clarity the team members have as well. Because they mm. it gets confusing when people are looking up. Well, who's yeah. doing what? Who's in control? Who's in charge? Who's who's actually calling the shots now? And that give them a confidence point of view yeah. that can be really strong. And working with a you know manufacturing company again in the UK, same thing applies. And the the team and the clients and the bank and you know, stakeholders, they need to be clear that there's there's good solid structure and governance, and decisions aren't being made you know, over the dinner table, outside the board environment. They've got to be structured around that. So there's also a confidence boost as well. Yeah, I like that. And one of the other things that I see, like particularly if we're you know, stay on the topic of essentially having those roles, mm. is one of um, the challenge of succession planning. I think particularly, and this particularly occurs when you've got multiple family members in the business. Yeah. I think if you've got, um, you know, the kind of stereotypical, and we we'll use that the example because it's come up a few times, when you've got the dad that's handing over to the son or, or yeah. you know, over to the daughter or whatever, that one-to-one is mm-hmm. relatively easy to see how it's stand over. And as you say, we talk about being clear about the role, getting them to have some experience and all that kind of stuff. Where I see more complexity and where I've seen challenges in other businesses is where you've got multiple siblings that are now working in the business, some of which are family, but not through blood. So they're like in-laws or whatever, um, you know, through either marriage directly into the business owner or into the siblings and so on. So it all gets complex from a family perspective. And then, of course, you've then got a question of, well, who ultimately becomes the main business owner? Who becomes the CEO and and so on? Are there any cases where you've seen that? And how has that played out? And, um, you know, am I I overplaying it in terms of what an issue it is or uh, perhaps underplaying it? And what what happened? No, I think think the the broader the family gets, the broader the involvement gets, the worse. We we used to live in the U.S., and there's a bit of family firm over there, and they were in the sort of pharmaceuticals. Everyone's in the pharmaceuticals business over there, and so dad he actually brought in. I think he had three sons. I think it was two daughters, and a, a husband turned up, and a wife turned up, and a, and a cousin turned up, and a whatever. And the whole there's about twelve of them in the family, um, and he wanted to bring them all on board. And the thing was, I mean, if we're being blunt, that just because they're family doesn't mean they're the best person for the job. Mm. And I think this is a real test because. Sometimes, and even if this is the son or the daughter, the best person for the job to be the next CEO, um, and they're not all the time. Sometimes they are, but regularly they're not. And if we bring the family on board, almost guaranteed that the chances of a family you know, producing the best operations, finance, sales directors in the world for that business, it's, it's not true. It's not, and people see that, clients yeah. see it. Team sees it, stakeholders see it. My, my instinct would say, don't do it. If, but it might be too late for some companies. It's interesting to do it, but don't because it's obviously not the way it works. You know, look at look at with look at Donald Trump. You know, with his empire and the the kids and the sons and the daughters that sort of thing. And he's in a little of a little bit of hot water, allegedly, allegedly. But anyway, so I personally, I wouldn't do that. You know, to bring the whole family in. No, I, I, it can't be right. If you have got it, then the same thing applies. We've got to get them the credibility. They've got to earn their stripes. Because the one thing, we, we hire people mm. because they're family, but we're going to fire them, which is always difficult. You think it's difficult not to hire somebody from the family. You wait till you fire them. Then that, you know, how to destroy the family connection. So be really careful around hiring family. If you want to give it to your son or your daughter and they want it and you think they're good enough, well, great. But if they're not good enough, even if they want it, 
they're not good enough they shouldn't have the job because it's not just the not just them it's the the employees it's the future it's the scalability maybe they need to be shareholder and they don't need to be a director of the business because they need to go and be successful somewhere else but these are real challenging conversations and i've had these discussions with people at board meetings when you know it gets heated it gets emotional because it's a family firm but these are one of the areas i think where you know bringing the 15 family members in to run the company i would bet that they're not all 15 qualified to do the job not really so tread real careful with that yeah it's interesting because it, it, there's almost an argument that says uh, and, and i think essentially you're making it which is what is the likelihood that a family member happens to be the That's best right. a player for this job exactly. and to some extent the answer is well nearly zero like if, if you know, when um, in previous episodes, I've, I've shared our recruitment process that we use. And for yeah. some roles, like the minimum we'll be looking for is 50 applicants. Yeah. In some roles, we get over a thousand applicants mm-hmm. and then filter them down to end up with the best one. The risk if you go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take one applicant, which is my, my son or brother. And then I'm going to apply very little uh, assessment yeah. and hope that they're good. Seems exactly. bonkers. Like, in, if anything, they should go through the same process as anyone else Absolutely to see right. whether that's the result um, and, and make sure that you've pulled this stuff out. And then, and then I think it does become an easier conversation to go, oh, yeah, you know what? I'd love to work with your brother. How much, how much fun would we have? In which case, go through the process in the same way. It'll mean that the team can be brought in. And then if it's like, oh, actually, they didn't do very well, it's like, oh, no. Like, oh, such a shame. I was, I was really looking forward to working with you. But, uh, you know, may, maybe when the next role comes along, maybe that'll be a better fit and, and so on. So I, I, I can see why you, you know, in a business you want the best people. And actually for the family member, they should be in a role where they get to do what they're good at and enjoy it. And I think having their why is really appropriate, as you say. But also it creates considerable risk when you have all the family members in one business. There are loads of reasons why a business can go pop. Absolutely. And to have... 15 people in the family that suddenly are without a job seems yeah. reckless in the extreme. Yes. So um, why should people like, because, because the, the opposite viewpoint would be don't do it. Like if you're think if you, if you own your business and you're thinking, Oh, maybe my, my child or family member, maybe I should bring them in. Like, why isn't the rule just don't like, why isn't the message key message from this podcast episode at any avoid at any cost, hiring and working with any family members it's not good for the business it's not good for your relationships <laughs> just stop it stop yeah but i think i think the thing i think it should be i think it should be don't but then a rider to don't unless and there should be a checklist that don't don't unless want they want the job because they a lot of people coming into family firms don't actually they do it from loyalty do they want the job are they qualified to do it and are they the best of the bunch that we've got so if if the son or the daughter or the cousin or whatever it is, there's a vacancy. My view, they should apply for it as anybody should apply for it. And they apply for it sort of blind. Uh, if I you know, put the, take the name off the CV and that sort of thing, get an agency involved, whatever it is. If miraculously they rise to the surface and they get the job on merits, then, well, then great, they're the best person for the job. They've got absolute credibility. They've earned the stripes. People can see it. They all know about it. And there's no question, no question at all. Um, that would be the perfect way to go. It gets very muddy around the edges, of course, because, because emotions get involved and all this sort of thing. However, it may be that the son 
or the daughter doesn't qualify to be the next CEO, maybe they qualify to be the team leader on the shop floor, or maybe they, they qualify to be a supervisor or whatever. Maybe there is a job for them, but not automatically board level on day one, if you like, as well. So I think they do need to qualify for it, and yet they shouldn't automatically become uh, on sit on the board. It doesn't work that way. They can have the shares, but that's a different, a whole different conversation. That's a good point. They can get the shareholding and the dividend and everything else that goes with it. And, you know, and again, being blunt, the, the son or the daughter may be better off putting a professional manager in front of that mm. business. And so the shareholding improves, the dividend improves. They're better off by, you know, working in the canteen and allowing the professional to run the business for them. So shareholder is that there's a real good start point, but director operations, yeah, different discussions perhaps there. Love that. I, yeah. I think, I think that as a, as a principal and particularly um, separating out the, are you a shareholder? Or are you working the business? And remembering those are entirely separate things Absolutely. and you can do one and not the other in both directions. Yep. So um, yeah, I think that's really key. Um, let's now cover the opposite end of this because uh, now that we've established that in general you probably shouldn't hire family members, yeah. it's unlikely that they're going to be the perfect person and that probably suggests that you're just not casting the net wide enough to get good mm -hmm. talent. Yeah. Now let's talk to the business owners who have already done it. <laughs> they're already already working Too with late. their sisters, Too brothers, late. mothers, yeah. dads, etc. Um, and, and I, you know, if I take a specific example of a of a client of ours who he had to fire his sister yeah um uh because you know performance issues and causing problems with customers and causing problems with the team and so on yeah how do you tackle that emotional aspect you know when you how do you manage the relationships while having to make tough decisions the one of the most extreme being kicking someone out of the company yeah, no, I think I think that we have to do it. One of the clients was a martial artist over in the UK, and uh, business doing well. He had, I think, it was one of the, I think it was a cousin working in the business, and this sort of thing going around. Um, and this cousin was not doing a good job. Every KPI was missed, and it was just not good. You wouldn't if if it wasn't the cousin, you wouldn't employ them. And I said, well, you know, how are we going to sort this out? And he said, well, if I fire him, if I fire the cousin, the ramifications will be, you know, the family will disown me, and it's going to get mad. And that is the balance you've got to take. You cannot, you've got to take your pain somewhere. You take it in the profit and loss account or you take it over Christmas lunch. You know, where do you want the pain to come? But you're going to get it. That's the mm. thing. You're going to get it anyway. Um, and what we did and what he did, bless him, we went through it and we managed her as we would any other employee through contract employment, through KPIs and disciplinary. And after about four months, um, he fired her. And he got heat back from the family. Initial response, I think, uh, his, his wife wasn't very happy and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the family actually got it. And, the, and this was interesting. The family said, you know what? You've got to do what's best for you and the family because he can go and get a job somewhere else. It's absolutely fine. It smarted a bit, um, but do it professionally. So if you do have to move somebody on, manage them as you, know, manage them as you would anybody else. You know, bring them into the company like that. Don't just you know, take them out to you know, Costa Coffee and say, sorry, buddy, but you're fired because that'll come back and haunt you legally and through the family route. Do it the proper way with expectations and KPIs and discipline if you need to, and then manage them out. So your conscience is clear and, you know, the family will have to put up with it. And if they don't, well, then you know, take them off the Christmas card list. But it's one of those because the, 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 because the business is critical, isn't it, to our yeah. survival and future growth and development. And we can't really afford to you know sacrifice it for the sake of being nice to a 
cousin, brother, sister who's not pulling the ways. So, but, but do it by the book. I think do it by the book was the key. That's what we agreed to do. Um, and to be fair, he left and he, you know, he said the, the exit interview, um, I wasn't there, but the exit interview said, I knew this was coming. It's obvious I don't fit in this place. You know, I, I knew I was swinging the lead. I wanted just a matter of time. And he went off and next week he got a job somewhere else and he's happy. So yeah. there was no real no foul if you like really just that he thought he was being trying to be kind by keeping him on yeah. but yeah business owners we've got to be kind to ourselves as well you know and our balance sheets and all our other stakeholders but you know, do it by the book if you're not happy you know, confront it realize it manage it by the book if they turn into perfect employees because of that well then great if they don't don't shy away from it it's a real tough one but part of the maturity of running our own businesses i guess completely and it, it, it's something that i think uh, I've seen a lot is in a lot of businesses, they actually just generally lack a bit of performance management processes yeah, um, to make sure that they're consistently tackling behavior that isn't in keeping with your like core values and how you want to operate and KPIs and so on. And as a result, when you tolerate poor performance, it saps away from the rest of the team and, and can bring your organization down. Absolutely. And again, it's one of those things where, and this is even more important if you're hiring people like, and uh, the people, family members that, yeah. uh, that, that you can't be as confident of performance and so on. And there's so many emotions at stake. So I think having that clarity on, okay, here's the process that we go through and actually following it and using it, I think is key. I've seen so often, even within my own companies where we have a process and in general, people are reticent to do it. They, they will hold back till they absolutely have to go, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger and take them through a performance management process. Yep. And you're like, the performance, and in many cases, um, I remember the very first time that I had to put someone through this performance management process. Mm -hmm. And I remember mentioning it to, um, it was actually to my mum, who owns her own business. Uh, and I remember telling her that I was doing this and she said, I don't think I've ever had anyone that I've put on a performance management process that stayed in the company. Mm, and I was so like, oh no, like I hated the idea of that. And I was worried that she might be right. Turned out not to be right. The uh, okay. team member did manage to address the performance uh, gaps with the, with the support of that process and is still uh, in my organizations. Um, but it's, I think you need that in place so that you take the action and then you're still going to need to encourage yourself and your managers and so on to actually do it when, when objectives and, and so on aren't hit. Um, because I think if you don't, you get that problem. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I love, I love that. Um, that thought about and, that. And, and I think as well, and this is, you know, we, we, Lynn worked for me in a company, oh. when we, for, not when we didn't own it, it worked for me in another company before, and that was in the, uh, back in the days of Commodore computers. Anybody remembers Commodore back in the day? But anyway, show me age now. And she worked for me, and I had to be tougher on her than anybody else because, you know, if she was ever you know late or whatever it was i couldn't just I, i'll let it go maybe for some people whatever it was but if she was late mm. i had to really make a an issue out of it she never lets me forget and i think the same in the family firm if there's performance issues we've got to be tied with the family we've got to hold them accountable to performance and excellence because if we don't do it to family we can't do it for anybody else in the team as well so we've almost got to be harder on ourselves as a family unit to be seen to do it, therefore it's a leadership function, basically, to enable other people in the business to do it as well. 
Yeah, and uh, it's such a tall order because it's and it still points me towards yeah. So don't hire family members because that that's negative on both sides. Like you're you're saying that oh well, I have to be harder on the family members because I don't want other team members to be like oh well, you're being soft on them because they're a family. But yeah. on the flip side, like what a horrible situation. Like I can imagine a family member saying you're so much harder on me than you are anyone else than team. It's like yeah, well, well I have to be. It's like why. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it kind of points. I, if I the now pick a sort of different person in the family, let's say you've got someone who is perhaps it's a um, uh, a descendant, so a daughter or son, yeah. who it perhaps feels caught between joining that family legacy and supporting that. And maybe maybe they have had a job in that business for a while, yeah. or in and out, or whatever, and it's coming time for them to take over, mm-hmm. but they're torn between that and actually pursuing their own dreams. And you've said a number of times, it's important that they have to want the job. And, you know, in other episodes, we might, we, we've talked about things like finding their why and having a passion yeah. for the, for the business and so on. And of course, again, it's like, what's the probability that the business owner who started the business and their descendant happen to have the same why and passion and so on. So, How do they overcome that and address that with the business owner, particularly given that they themselves might not even know what their own why or dream is um, for for what they want to do? Because, and I think it's even tied up in, it can have a financial impact as well, right? Because particularly short term, often it means that they're going to get paid more than they would elsewhere. So how, how have you seen that navigated well? I think the thing, with, I mean, the, the founders, you know, the, the, the mum and dad, when they start the business, they they probably didn't have um, a vision and a why, if you like. They were doing it because they were unemployable, had to pay the rent and, you know, make, make the mortgage payments. Um, so it starts off with, you know, with, uh, there's a heat-driven thing, if you like. The why tends, the, the passion evolves as you go along. But then they built it, and they do have a passion for it, because anything that we've built you know, we are blood sweated. We do have a passion and a belief in it anyway. For the next generation to come in, they probably don't, not in the same way. If they do, but they need they do need to know what do they want to do with themselves because coming into the family firm out of loyalty, uh, loyalty to, to mum and dad or loyalty to the firm or obligation, that's no way to, to live. You, need, you can't really work and live like that. Much better to realise that actually I want to go and be a, uh, a doctor or a vet, an engineer, whatever it is, Great. Well, go and do that. One of my clients in Luxembourg, they run a, a relocations company, lovely business, and they've got uh, two, two, two sons and a daughter, and none of them want to go into the business. So we've got mm-hmm. ones working in Switzerland, ones in, in, in Lisbon being trained as a vet, and other ones over in Paris working in financial services. Um, not they dislike the firm, but it's not their dream. Not their vision, so they've gone to do their own thing. They will inherit the shareholding of the business at some point in time, but we're now building a professional management team, and we're really clear with the the youngsters there when they were coming through. And you know, what would you like to come to the business or not? But no is an answer. No is an option as well. And they said, well, it's not really our dream. And good, they're they're doing amazing career work for themselves. Um, but it's to recognise that what yeah, do they really yeah. want to do? Um, nothing worse than being stuck. In a, you know, in a family firm, you don't you don't really enjoy, you don't really like out of obligation, because I mean the classic, you know, the the, the first generation builds a business, second generation may hold it, but third generation lose it, mm-hmm. um, because they don't know the pain, passion, drive, and everything that goes with it. So I think to figure out, maybe get an external person, maybe get a non-exec to come in and talk to the youngsters, the family, 
um, and do some, you know, some coaching with him, if you like, and say, take him off site, go away for a, you know, for a lunch or a couple of sessions, whatever it is, and really find out what do they want. And they can have whatever they want. That's the, that's the danger. Um, one of the choices may be the family firm. If it truly is the family firm, that's only first part of the, that, that ticks one box. Doesn't mean because they want it, do they qualify for it? That's no, that's number two. Yeah, we we'll go to that one as well. But job number one is: do they really want to do it? Would they apply for this job if they had, you know, you know if they had a million in the bank? Would they come and do this anyway? And that's what it really takes. Yeah, it's it's really funny because I think if I there's there's this the the logic behind it basically says the likelihood that they are going to want it, that they share the same why, that this is their long-term, you know, the perfect long-term vision for them, that they're going to have the ability to then take on the same. Like, seems so astronomically small. And on the flip side, emotionally, even for my businesses, and there's no reason for this whatsoever, like logically, mm. I do have this weird feeling, just feeling, yeah. that's like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if my kids come oh, and want to work in the business and yeah, own it and, yeah, and yeah. so on. And that's ridiculous that even now as part of this conversation yeah. i'm feeling that yes. and, and and so it, i think it is a challenge and equally i've been on the other side uh with for example with my mother's business where there was an appropriate point where it's like if i wanted to stand up and go yeah i'm i'm coming in now yeah. that that could have worked and and sure. so on yeah. and and it was interesting that i felt like i almost should Absolutely. Like emotionally, yeah. there was this feeling of, and and I, and I think I know from other uh, uh, people in this situation where they've almost felt not only should they should for longevity of the business and supporting mm -hmm. and that it's their role, but also to help that that business owner out of the business. Maybe even that that business owner they can see it's even affecting their health. They're working too much and so on. So they think, oh, I want to help them be able to retire and so on. So I'm going to come in and do this. Yeah. Let's say that you've got a smart person in that position, like either it's the owner or it's the 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 um, uh, child of that person. Mm. What are the strategies that they should be supporting that family business in to support that smooth transition of the leadership, potentially not to themselves, right? Yeah. What what needs to be in place so that they can free up that that business leader so that it doesn't need them to just come and shoulder that burden. Well, I think the key, I mean, I always, the, the view I've always taken in my companies and what I do now is treat any business as if it's a franchise, not that you're going mm. to franchise it, but you structure it and you systemize it in such a way that you can grow it, scale it, or sell it. Those are the three sort of things, reasons you do it. So if a business is, is systemized and structured, then you can almost take the personalities out of it to a certain extent at a certain level. So the systems are the key to start off with. But also, if, you know, if, the, if the, the, the daughter's coming into the business and they're not really the, the perfect CEO, um, well, hire one. You know, their job can be to build a team. They can be the themselves whatever they like but if they're not the perfect ceo then come into the business by all means um in some sort of level whatever it is but you hire a ceo you hire your operations director you hire a sales manager and build a team because you know they just because they're in the firm doesn't mean they've got to be the most senior person as shareholders you know shareholders hire directors so if they hire a director, they've got they've got control over them. It's absolutely fine. Mm. But I think that, that to build a team around themselves, um, without them necessarily being the the team leader for everything. So I think systemizing is a key. You know, again, so it runs. 
and then you can turn the personalities out, but then where you find your niche you know, in the company, whatever it is, um, build a team around you. It doesn't mean you, you can have a CEO that you sort of report to operationally, but you've still got the, you know, still shareholder, you're okay, you've got full control. So build, a, whatever, whatever happens, build a professional team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great advice. And um, obviously with the, the work we do at Air Manual, systemization is one of the most mm. common uh, needs that, that we're supporting our clients with is where they say, yeah, like I need to extract, I need to free up my time, I need to be able to step on the, up in the business so we systemize. And so yeah. again, it's like, it's even more appropriate when you're talking about a family business and yeah. you need to reduce the necessity of a, a, a child or whatever, or a family member to come in and step in. You want it possible that someone else, anybody else <laughs> is able to do it rather than having to hire in, your, your in-law or, uh, or one of your kids or whatever. So I, I think that's, that's really is, if, if, if you want to give your kids an income, well, give them an income. Yeah. Give them a salary. It doesn't mean they've got to come to the company. Just give them a salary and get to go and do research, whatever you like, give them a salary. That That's that's easy done, you can do that. But don't confuse giving them a salary with getting them operationally involved in the business as well. The two may not be compatible, so watch out. Yeah, it almost feels like you'd be better saying, and, and particularly for purposes of, um, uh, if you're going to put them on the payroll, they need to mm. be providing some value to the business and, yeah. uh, and so on for uh, tax purposes and whatever. Yeah. Um, it'd be very easy to just say, yep, they're going to be set up as non-exec directors. They're required to attend X meetings per year where literally they're just going to see the key figures and what they can weigh in, but they're mm. non-exec, so they're not, they're, not making, they're not making decisions and acting. And I think you know, being right. able to... Um, and, and that's quite nice as well, because it means that if it does become appropriate and they are passionate about it, then you've got that option. It's, yeah. I, I wonder whether that as a role is quite an effective way of, of bringing them in in a way that's absolutely no, um, no pressure to yeah. increase their commitment over time, which I think is, is, is powerful. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I, one other thing I want to cover, because I'm conscious of, um, uh, of time, but there's something that I want to pick up on, which is, when you have got that family business and you've got those people around you that you're working with and sometimes work can be stressful or it can, you know, there can be deadlines that you're working to and then you're going home with some of that and maybe some people are having to work late, maybe all of you, maybe some are working later than others. How, you know, what's your take on setting boundaries in, in a family business like that to avoid burnouts and conflicts? Yeah, I think you have to. The danger is that everybody piles in and works too many hours and this sort of thing. It comes down to the down to the sort of the job spec and the rules of engagement, I think. You know, we all do crazy things for our business from time to time. But it's, one, it's got to be equitable. Not, not just one person's doing it. Uh, and it's got to be limited by agreement that, you know, if you're working 90 hours a week, well, that's not sustainable. It's ridiculous. Either you're not doing your job properly or we need more resource to come in. So it's really, I think it's a treat treat each other treat the family as you would an employee because you know you wouldn't treat employees like that so you know set the boundaries set the vision set the rules of the game um yeah of course the stress points as we go along and you know, things have to happen occasionally but then they become a habit and it's again it's back to systemizing invisibility love that it's, it's an interesting message that to some extent um, what I've seen over the last you know, many decades of looking at businesses is sometimes I see this description of, oh, the nice thing about our business is it's like we're a family or we're a family or whatever. And to some extent, it's almost like the advice is you want the opposite. 
right? The, making the business more like the family is worse. What you need to do is make the fa- the family that are involved in the business much more like you'd run the business. Exactly right. Really make it into a team, not a family. Yeah, yeah exactly. indeed. Finally, so if we were to pick one key takeaway that you'd like listeners to remember when it comes to running a family business for yeah. long-term success, personal f- fulfillment, what would be that key takeaway? I think treat it when you recruit people, when you grow and develop the business, treat the family as, as, as applicants, which sounds really harsh, but do they want the job? Are they right for it? You can always find something for them to do. That's absolutely fine. It may not be the CEO. So it's put them in, put the, put the family into the business in the appropriate place. And that could be a, a difficult conversation, but yeah, recruit as if you're recruiting from outside. Love it. Great advice. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for, but it's been so valuable. Thank you so much, David. Uh, I'll include a link to to your website over at results rule, uh, resultsrulesok.com. I'll make Thank sure there's a link in the um, uh, show description. Um, yeah. How else can people learn from you, get the benefit of your incredible insights, etc.? How can they connect with you? What's the best way? Um, easiest way to find us is like, through the website is fine or on LinkedIn. It's David Holland MBA. You'll find me. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, and we do events and workshops and seminars. We get to the UK. Um, but anybody can just d- drop me an email. Happy to have a, a Zoom coffee chat is how we get to know people anyway. So, yeah, LinkedIn is easy. Website, email. Let's jump on a Zoom call and have a chat. Fantastic. Love it. Well, thank you again, David. It's been really, really great talking to you. Uh, For everyone else, if uh, you're in a situation where you're looking to uh, free up your time to step up to systemize the business, you'll get a lot of value by watching a masterclass that I ran on how to free up 15 hours per week and unlock growth. You can find out more and get access uh, for free at emmanuel.co forward slash webinar. Uh, Otherwise, one final thing before you go, if you found today's content valuable, and I'm sure you did, then just take uh, a quick minute to hit the like button, subscribe, leave a review, make a huge impact. Uh, It would get the podcast more visibility, and as a result, we can help more people. So I'd really, really appreciate it. So if you haven't done that so far, and you've particularly if you've listened to a few episodes, please do that now. Thank you so much. Otherwise, thank you, David, uh, for joining me today. Everyone else, until next time, have fun.